Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Ville Church. If this is your first time, we want you to uh, kick back and enjoy and relax. If you're not perfect and you don't have it all together, then we're going to start off on a good note because none of us are perfect and have it all together. And uh, we all need Jesus here this morning, uh, me being the first and foremost that needs him the most. So uh, just so you know, so hopefully that'll put you at ease and let you know you don't have to do anything or be anything or be any way other than just to rest in Jesus. Um, Happy New Year. You guys excited for this next new year, 2020? Yeah? 2020 is coming up on us. Uh, I thought that would probably never happen. I never thought, thought that maybe the year 2000 would happen. I thought everything was going to stop or fall apart. And, you know, how many of you went out and uh, bought a wood stove and a lot of water in, in, in Y2K? I'd been one of them, actually put it inside my home and cut a hole through the roof and all that good stuff. But uh, we're in 2020, and God is still uh, ruling and reigning, and he takes care of us. And when he says it's time, it's time. But I'm excited this morning just to um, come and bring God's word to you um, and to be able to be part of that and what he'll do this morning. Um, So if we could open our Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 2. I don't have any slides this morning. I apologize for that. And I'm preaching from my computer, which I normally don't do. I usually have it on paper. But uh, this morning, I believe God will still minister as he always does. So Colossians chapter 2, and you can keep your Bibles handy, uh, whether on your phone or in paper, just so that way uh, we'll be flipping through some scriptures and, uh, and looking at the word this morning. Colossians chapter 2. Um, Pastor Jay, uh, Alder Tony, and myself met for two days straight at the beginning of December. Uh, for you that don't know, uh, Pastor Jay is the lead pastor here at the Ville Church, and also one of the establishing pastors in the church. And then Alder Tony is our first official elder of the church. Um, and then I myself, I'm an associate pastor at the church. Um, what that means is that that is the leadership that we believe, it's plural, it's not just one person, that is overseeing and caring for the church. It's the means in which God uses to be able to lead, care, and shepherd the church. So as we've gotten together, uh, the beginning of this December, someone graciously lent us a house in St. Augustine. We spent time prayer and talking. Uh, One of the very first things that Pastor Jay put out there for us that he believed God was leading him in is this word rooted. And as as soon as he said the word rooted, uh, Tony and I concurred very quickly. I myself personally, it was immediate uh, for I was thinking about being uh, founded or confirmed or a firm foundation for the church going on from uh, this, this point forward. Now, the Ville Church has been around for a little bit of time, but there's been like a establishing of the church going on for some time as well. This year, uh, last year, we kicked off our squads, which is our small group ministry, which is the place where you could take the book of Acts and begin to practice uh, what it says to be devoted to one another, to prayer, to the word, uh, to care for one another, love one, love one another, to be united together with one another, to walk out this walk together, to be the church. 
And that is through our small groups, through our squads. And we kicked it off. It started, I think, with 13 or 14 groups and has carried on throughout the year. But we believe that there's even more that God wants for us. We believe there's more rooting for us to be rooted. And so that is going to be our word and our theme throughout this year, maybe next year and the year after that. Um, Along with being rooted, we find in the book of Colossians the word rooted. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Colossians 2 says, therefore, as you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Very important to catch, as you've received the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. A little bit about Colossians, this letter that was penned by Paul. Paul penned this letter from the jail cell in Rome. Colossians is a, a, the, the city of Colossae Paul had never visited. He had never been to this church. How did this church come to be? It came to be through Paul's ministry, that he ministered in Asia. One of the, uh, I would say, converts or someone that heard the gospel through Paul's ministry was Epaphras. And he went back and established this church. This is now five to seven years later. The church has been established. It's a very loving and caring church. And Paul is, uh, Epaphras actually goes to Rome. He's felt called to go to Rome and join Paul in prison. Join him to tell him what's going on in the church. That there is a teaching that is strange that's starting to creep in. To add to the work of Christ or that Christ is not uh, enough or sufficient for our salvation. Could you imagine having that call, the call to go to prison? Epaphras stayed with Paul. He didn't go back. They, They sent other disciples back to be able to bring the letter to the church in Colossians. Right there, that goes to show you that there are times that God will call us to places and ministry where it is not comfortable. Many times we'll be called to a circumstance that is not in our favor or that is not good at all. I mean, how many feel called to go to prison voluntarily? I mean, that would go contrary to the American Christian culture that is being taught to us and, 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 and is at this moment in our history and time. That'd be like, no way, right? Usually people will say, if you come to Christ, your circumstances will get better. Your life will get better. Things will be prosperous. Things will be good. But that's one example, and that's not what we're talking about today when it comes to being rooted, but I just thought I'd point that out. That's important. It was about uh, AD 53 to 55, and so this word comes to Paul. Paul sends the word back. Uh, We find... uh, if Colossians saying this in 4.12 says, and Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. This shows that Epaphras was with Paul in the jail 
And that's what he was called to at that moment. Finding this word rooted and being rooted, we find it in Colossians chapter 2 as we just recently uh, talked about. Why was it important that they would be established? Why was it important for them to be rooted? Because Jesus, just as Jesus has warned from the very beginning that there are many false doctrines and false teachings, the ruin and the corruption and the disaster that it would create to believe anything other than what Jesus taught, anything other than what the apostles were given. I want you to note here and pay attention very, uh, very pay attention to this in Colossians chapter two, verse six. It says, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, how many of us received Jesus, Christ Jesus? How did we receive Christ Jesus? Normally, we go to so walk in Him. What do we got to do? What do I need to get done? What should I be like? We go to the doing, but it says, how do we walk in Him? How are we able to walk in?" Christ? How are we to be rooted and built up and established in the faith? By the way, rooted means to be established. Just as you were taught, he says, going back to the beginning, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did we receive him? Received him by faith. This faith was not ours. Ephesians says it was a gift and a gift of God. Our walking, our establishment, our rooting always comes through God and what he does in our lives. That's how we're established. We don't see this problem only in Colossians, uh, but we also see this problem also in Galatians. In Galatians, we also find in this church, and I'm gonna read verse one, uh, six through nine, if you can turn there, Galatians one, six through nine. Again, you know, beautiful churches established and started all by the preaching of the gospel, and so quickly it's turned. Galatians, very important. It says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And, but Paul says, but even if, uh, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel to the one we preach to you, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed means let him be an anathema. In other words, let him go to hell. That's how strong Paul is speaking here. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you, a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And we wonder, well, what is this gospel? Paul spells out the gospel saying that it is what? First of all, real quickly, and I'm not gonna go deep into this because this is what's coming up in the, in the year to come. We're gonna go through this caution. We're gonna go through this being rooted in the gospel, in the word, in God. But for a quick part, first of all, the gospel is God, is God's. It belongs to God. Romans 1 says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Of God, meaning it belongs to God. The gospel is also a person. It's the person and work of Jesus. Gospel is also something that happened in space and time, away from us, apart from us, all on its own. That's very important. Hold on to that for a minute here. Stay with me. 
grab onto it, that it happened apart from you, that it happened without you, that it happened without you doing anything, saying anything, believing anything, trying anything. The gospel that's being preached right now is try harder, do better. The, pre- the gospel that's being preached now in America is you better get your life right. The gospel that's being preached right now, just do it. The gospel that's being preached now is be all you can be. The gospel that's being preached now, life is all about you. And it leaves us in confusion, discouragement. It leaves us in fear and anxiety and in worry about what? It being about us and what we do. It's a gospel of saying what you must do. And that's something we understand and can get. We all can get. Listen to the conversations you have at work, at home, after church. Notice, take notice of this. Do me one favor when you leave here. Notice how many times someone's saying, what should I do? What you should do? What shouldn't I do? What should I have done? Oh man, I didn't do that. I should do this. Constant law, constant being told what to do. Again, the gospel is something that was done apart from us. Without anything that we could do. The gospel brings us and is done out of the love of God. For God so loved the world. The gospel brings us to God to enjoy him as the center. It is God's love to us, towards us, and for us that brings him all glory to love us in this way that he would give his only son. This love is nothing we can earn. This love is nothing we can do something for. This love says that a perfect person has to die and live a perfect life for us on our behalf so we can become in right relationship, right standing with God. God gives up his most precious to gain us. God in, uh, Christ endures the cross because he sees you and I would be forgiven and saved forever and ever. He does that. What kind of God would do that? A God that's not of us, a God of another, something outside of ourselves. So we find that Galatians is also struggling with this. So I sold a vehicle uh, not too long ago um, to a couple of customers and um, come to find out they were Christians and so it was a, a mom and a daughter. Daughter was probably maybe uh, late 20s and um, so they're there and we're talking and I don't know how I brought it up but we brought up the, you know, their Christian stuff. So I said, ask them, so where, what church do you go to? And, uh, and they told me and, and, uh, the name of the church. And then I asked, what, what do you guys believe? And they right away said, well, we're non-denominational. Okay, like, what do we believe about the gospel? Um, and so I'm a pastor. They know that. They're a Christian. I'm a Christian. So this is non-threatening, right? This isn't like, hey, I'm going to try to throw you a curveball and, you know, try to, you know, come against you or make you look bad or whatever. And they, they told me uh, very nicely, very politely. They were, they were super cool. Uh, just that... Their church uh, does a lot of missions, um, non-denominational, that, that when they go to church, they're able to understand and, and apply the word to their life. Um, and then I asked like one more time, but very lightly, because I, I was like, am I missing something here? But I just tell me something. Um, and not that I'm, 
I wasn't trying to, I'm not trying to make them look bad or anything like that, so please don't take it like that. But at the end of the day, they could not tell me what the gospel was, nor what they believed, nor what the church believed. Uh, they told me what they did, told me about missions, which is wonderful. Love that they do missions. I was not going to teach them or tell them anything. At that point, I just sort of just moved on. Um, but let me ask you a question. If I asked you, what is the gospel or what do you believe? And I gave you a piece of paper, what would you say? And I'm not saying that to, to uh, put you on the spot or to make you, in. Don't, don't answer, obviously. Or where your beliefs come or, or what's the background? How have you been established? How have you been rooted, right? This question is not to put anyone on the spot. I believe that in our day and in our time in the Church of America, we struggle with this question as Christians overall. We just don't struggle with it. We also have a hard time defending it. We also have a hard time knowing where our faith comes from. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done an exercise in school where the teacher tells you or someone tells you, hey, tell, tell like, for example, Pastor Jay over here in this corner something, and then he whispers or says something in the ear of the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person, next person, all the way until it gets to the last person over there? You ever done that? What do you think would happen? Yeah, the story's going to change, right? It might be the opposite of what, what, what it is that he said. Um, and I, I think that's the best description that we can give. And, and, and I know that's a judgment, so just take it lightly. Don't, don't get all hurt about it. But uh, <laughs> that we can give to what has happened to what we believe as Christians in America. And I don't know any other place, so I'm just referring to America. And I'm not trying to put it down America or the church. Um, I think we all are having to take some responsibility for that especially shepherds. Do we know what we believe and the history? Do we know what a church council is? Do you know how many councils we've had? Uh, if you don't know, you don't know. It's okay. But we're going to learn, right? What about church history? It's, it's, you know, are you able to say, well, how did, what is the Ville's church history? Besides, you know, when it started and Pastor Jay and all that good stuff, right? Um, What's a church history? It's important. Matter of fact, the book of Acts says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Jesus said, make disciples, right? Teaching them to obey my commandments, baptizing them, right? It's important to pass on what Jesus has taught us because it's truth outside of us, because it tells us who we are in relationship to God, it tells us who God is in relationship to us, and it establishes us. It gives us life, right? His word, his truth, it is bread, it is life. So what is some of the fruit that we would want to see from being rooted? What is some of the fruit? John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Before we can bear fruit, we must know where the fruit comes from. It comes from being rooted and connected in God. When something is rooted, it's connected in it, right? And it says, he is the vine and we are the branches. Real important also to note here the single and plural. The single is that it's one vine, that is Christ, and it's many branches, that's all of us. It's not by ourselves. 
As we are in union with God, we are also in union with each other. We're all one body of Christ. It's never alone. That's one of the false teachings of today that you could just grow and be nourished and healthy and established and rooted all by yourself. The only branches by themselves were the ones that Jesus threw away and put into fire. Not that I'm, I'm not judging anybody, I'm just saying you cannot do it on your own. It's contrary to Christ. Christ prayed in his highly priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that they would be one. He prayed it not one time, but two times, but three times. When God repeats something three times, it means a lot. As a matter of fact, the only word that God has ever repeated three times to describe himself is holy, holy, holy. It's important. Christ died so we would be united. It would to put his whole death aside because the union that comes from for, union comes from the forgiveness of sins, our trespass towards one another. Because if you're alive and human, you're going to hurt one another, you're going to trespass one another. And that forgiveness brings about the antidote for our trespass. So this is a metaphor being rooted. This is a metaphor being a, 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 a vine and, and branches, right, to bear this fruit but it's connected to each other. So what we're believing for you as a church is that you'll be able to share what you've been rooted in by the power of the Holy Spirit with someone else. By you being rooted in Christ, in the gospel, i.e. make disciples. Now, don't misunderstand me here. You cannot make true disciples on your own. And that's exactly what the church preaches and we can misunderstand. It's just a little simple change here. Is that some way, somehow, you're going to leave your saying, I got to go make disciples. You cannot make disciples on your own. True disciples. But through your union with Christ and he is working through the word that you received and you sharing that same treasure and that gift of the gospel with others Christ will use to make disciples, true disciples. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. So number one, uh, we want you to be established. We want you to be rooted, right? You first. By that experience and that union with Christ as he establishes you, as he works it in you, as you are rooted, out of you will come being able to establish uh, help to establish others. Out of you will come others being established as well as they see you being rooted. As it comes through you, Christ will work in you. Christ will do it in you. So who will make disciples? God will make disciples, right? God will make disciples. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So we see that the church in Colossians was being taken away by philosophies and empty to see in human tradition. It's interesting that the, this is happening so many years later, thousands of years later, five, 6,000 years later, that happened the same thing in the very beginning in the fall. Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 6. Um, 
Since the beginning of time, the enemy, Satan, has been trying to get us to listen. Real important to listen, to believe anything other than what is according to Christ, anything other than the gospel. The fall, chapter 3, verse 1 in Galatians. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. I'm sorry, Genesis, what did I say? Galatians, there you go. I was testing you. No, I was kidding. <laughs> he said to the woman, did God actually say? Who's preaching here? Who's preaching here? Go ahead, answer. Who's preaching here? Did God actually say? The serpent. The serpent's preaching. Satan is preaching. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So Satan's actually saying maybe something that may be true or half true. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman who's preaching here again, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs says, the fool despises wisdom. This wisdom that the fool despises is truth outside themselves. This one wanted to make one wise outside of Christ. That's what the woman has saw. The desire to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The second reason we want you to be rooted is we want you to be able to identify and know when there is something false and deceptive. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching teachers to suit their own passions. The greatest temptation, temptation that Jay, Tony, and myself have is to speak to itching ears. Let me say that again what Timothy says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But what kind? The same thing with, with Eve. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It was her passions. It was her feelings. It was her desires, the carnal fleshy desires that wanted this, our fleshy desires. What do I want? What is for me? What do I think is best? Therefore, as you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. This is uh, uh, back to Colossians rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, he's going back to, as you were taught, what were you taught? It's going to be the gospel. So how do we plan on doing this? How do we plan on establishing? How do we plan on building? How do we plan on you being rooted? We believe it's through the means that God uses. 
First of all, who is the good shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me to green pastures. Who is the good shepherd? It's okay, you can speak in this church. Come on. Did I scare you? Please don't get scared. Who is the good shepherd? Amen. He is the good shepherd. He is the overseer. He's the one who leads the church. We as an elder plural uh, uh, ship, eldership, plural, are under his shepherd, his leadership. Ephesians 4, 7, 16 says this. Can you turn to Ephesians 4, 7, 7 through 16? I'll give you a minute to get there. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascends on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descends is also the one who ascends for above all the heavens far above all the heavens, that he might feel all things. This is talking about Christ's supremacy. He is above all. And it says in verse 11, pay attention, and he, who's he? Jesus, right? The Father, uh, Jesus actually. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. He gave. They are a gift. For the what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of a ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Unity, faith, knowledge, equipping, edifying. To the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Is that happened yet? Have we come to a place where we're the perfect man as a church? No. So how long will that be? That will be perpetual forever till we see Jesus face to face. Why? It says so that we would, should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried, while, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness, the same cunning craftiness that's described in Genesis of Satan, of deceitful plotting. But by what means will he use? He'll use a gift, the gift of the, of the shepherds. Who are the shepherds? They're your pastors, your elders, your overseers. They're a gift from God. And he gives them the gift of what? Shepherding, teaching. And he says, by what means, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love that they may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, you want to know how the body gets together and joined, build up, established, and knit together by what every joint supplies. Why did God use the word gift? Because that's exactly what it is. It is a gift. There's no man that is a pastor because he earned it 
or did something for it, it was a gift. I would, I would, I would presume that Tony, Jay, and myself would say amen to the fact that the only reason we are standing here today qualified and stayed qualified, it's a gift. We do not take any credit at all. It's not our own doing. It's all God. There's no other way. I believe all of you can say amen and give God thanks for that. Why? Because it is now very often that we hear pastors quitting, becoming disqualified, committing suicide. That's no knock or no negative. I could do the same thing. It could happen to me tomorrow. Why? It's a gift. We're thankful for our pastors. It's the means in which God used from the beginning of, the t- of time, from the time that he established the church. And that's why he gave to his disciples the command, not the suggestion, also the authority and the power to go out and be used to, to be the means. What's the means? The way in which Christ ministers to us. Christ ministers to us. He gifted us with pastors, and they are the means of grace. Means, in other words, is the way, the instrument which Christ Jesus, the great shepherd, nourishes and feeds his flock. He nourishes them through this means. It gives a whole other meaning on what, on what happens when we come together as the church to hear these lips speak these English words that are just words as a means where Christ comes to minister, to build you up, to establish you, to care for you, to nurture you. This is him leading you to green pastures. So we find that one of the means and one of the gifts is the gifts, the pastors, right? The, the teachers, the leaders of the church. Here's another one that God uses, communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25. For I, have re- for I have received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We hear the word of God, which is the, the gospel is the primary means of him ministering to us. The second one, or one other one, is the communion. When we see the, the, the bread and the wine as a visible symbol, right? That we have, we're united in Christ and that he promises to what? Build us up, to live in us, to work in us, to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Which he... Uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is an example of why we do what we do. Jesus passed this on. Jesus spouts it out where you have a visible picture of the gospel. It is a means or a way in which Christ comes to minister to us. So, so important. It gives a whole other meaning about church. It's so contrary to our selfish self-centered, 
individualistic approach to living our Christian walk, our Christian walk, my Christian walk, my personal walk, my personal relationship with Christ. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see that ever. You will never see God saying this is your personal walk. When he identifies you, he identifies you in a plural sense. He identifies you with one another as one body, as one bride. You know what the beauty of that is? There's no no knock to that. The beauty of that is, is that we share. Christ is in me and I am in Christ. We share in this righteousness. We share in this union. We share in this love. We share in this acceptance that God has for us. We share in all the yeses and amens to all the promises of God. We are no longer guilty at all. We are guilt-free. We are clean and righteous and holy and accepted and loved by God forever and ever. Amen. That's what we share in our union with God. There is no love relationship on this earth that are at odds with each other. If you're in a relationship where you know someone is against you, you know you don't have love for them, or it's no way you can love them. Well, the same thing with our Father. He is not in odds with you, but you are his son and his daughter. You are loved by him. That's what our union brings. Jesus tore down the wall that separated us. He was the circumcision. His body was ripped apart for us to have full access to right standing, right living with God. Righteousness. Not our own, his righteousness. So we can be free of this guilt that separates us. That's what happened to Adam and Eve is as soon as they sinned, the guilt came and they ran from him. God wants to unite us with him. Not just for today, not just for one moment, not for just one day when you accepted Christ, but every single day we need to hear that we are united, that we believe the gospel, that Christ does for us, we cannot do for ourselves. Over and over again. And every other word other than that will keep you, want to try to keep you from believing that. And that's when it becomes heavy, and it becomes performance, and it becomes condemnation, and it becomes off. That's where we are deceived. Last reason. Well, we want you to be able to know, sorry, let me start by saying this. Our prayer is that you would be established in such a way that you would be able to be disciples, someone in this, be able to disciple someone in the same teachings you are being rooted in. We would want you to be able to disciple someone in the same teachings you're being rooted in, just like the ones that Jesus taught us. We want to see that the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel by seeing others come to faith in Christ, begin to pass on what they have been rooted in as well. So not just what you're being rooted in, but what they're, but as they're rooted, right, the fruit of it is them becoming disciples that they may be able to pass it on and others become rooted as well. He is the vine. We are the branches. How many branches are out there waiting to be rooted 
all through Christ. None of us knows. It could be anyone in your life right now that God wants to graft in through the gospel. He's already set it up. We want for you to be able to know when something is false and contrary to the gospel. The biggest heartache and heartbreak of us as pastors is to see and know that you are believing another truth. Not that there is another truth, but a false gospel. We want you to be able to apply the gospel to every part of your everyday life. Your everyday life, every single part of it. Your work, your home, your families, your relationships, all of it your communities, your neighborhoods, right? Your workplaces. But I wanna say this towards the end because this sounds and it can sound quickly that it becomes work. And yes, there's some work to be done, but this work comes again from what God does in us and through us, not on our own. We are not banking Listen to this. We are not banking on how well we can articulate what it means to be rooted. We're going to be talking about rooted for a long time, but we're not banking on that. Or how well we can articulate the gospel. We are banking on the fact that if you are a believer, you are united to Christ, meaning you are automatically rooted, united and through this union and connection, being rooted in Christ, as we come together to speak the word of God, God's means of grace, and celebrate the Lord's Supper, Christ now comes to lead you to green pastures and minister and feed you and nurture you all the way to heaven. How does that sound? Can anybody give a round of applause for God for that? At the end of the day, this is the best way that we can love and care for you. It's the best way that we can love and care for you. As our worship team comes up, we look forward to walking through Colossians. But more than that, we look forward to you being rooted in Christ, rooted in love rooted in the gospel. There's, a, there's some work to be done. There's things that need to be put together. There's work on our part as pastors. So please pray for us. Pray for us every day as we pray for you that God may establish us, establish our hearts as he's working to establish you in the gospel. See, because we too need to know that we cannot do this on our own. We too need to know that we don't have this. We can't maintain this. That this life is much bigger than us, but it's never bigger than him, right? Than Christ. The best way we can love you and care for you. We're about to take, partake of the Lord's Supper today. And in it, we can see that the Lord took the bread and he broke it as a symbol of him dying so we would be united with him. And his blood, the wine, the juice poured out as the ultimate sacrifice. And in this, he dies. And we're united in his death through baptism.
right? But not alone are we united in his death, we're also united in his resurrection, in the newness of life. That we too will rise once again. Come what may in our lives, church, in 2020, know this, that you will rise again. Not alone will we rise again to new life in Christ forever and ever with a glorified body, but we will also ascend with him. For right now, the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Jesus. We share in our union here on earth, but we share in our union in heaven as well. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. There is a place for you and there is a place for me. Just know through in your union, you are also united in your seat in heaven with Christ. And that is the gospel. And he does this as a gift freely to you and freely to me. And maybe you're here today and you've never received this, what God has done for you on your behalf. Demands a response. Will you believe Will you receive what Christ has done? Or will you reject it? Even in your rejection, he still loved you, he still died for you, and he wants you to believe. If you have not believed today, we ask that you don't partake of this Lord's table. For the Bible says it's bringing judgment on yourself. It's saying, yeah, I know you went through all that and did all that, but it really doesn't matter, and I'm just going to go partake just because I think it's cool. It's not cool at all because it's making a mockery. And it's also misunderstanding that the only reason why we come to this table is because we're unqualified to. It's because we need him to save us. Because we need the gospel. It's because we're sinners. And as I started here at the Ville, you can take a load off knowing that none of us are perfect and we all need Christ. But in that, there is forgiveness of sins. We'll have people up here to pray. And as they're up here to pray with you, feel free to come and confess your sins. Doesn't that sound like good news? Man, to come and say, man, I have blown it, and I've been carrying this, I've been trying to fix it, I've been trying to make it happen, I've been beating myself up over it, I've been hiding it, I don't even know what to do with it anymore. I need to confess. Feel free to confess. Feel free if you don't feel comfortable in confessing to your brother and sister in Christ where the Bible says confess one to another. Feel free to confess to God and allow him to take that load and know when you confess, the Bible says that he is surely faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. Thank be to God that he forgives me of all of my sins. He's the prodigal father that waits at the porch for you to know that you are forgiven. Come and taste and receive and be rooted and established again 
and again and again until we eat and drink with God in heaven. God bless you, church.